Snap Studios. Hey, it's Clint Washington from Snap, and I've got big news. Snap Judgment, live, rocks Nashville's Ryman Theater, Friday, March 16th, and I'm bringing the best storytellers in the world. Laugh, cry, laugh some more. Amazing night out, and yes, she's coming. The funniest woman in the world, Jen Colbert. I do my hunting in the lady forest. Jen Colbert rocks a brand new story. Get tickets at snapjudgment.org. I've never gotten applause for it before. If you guys could call my mom, that'd be awesome. She's still pissed. Okay, so I'm exploring for a day. I want to see how the beautiful people, the rich people, the people without problems live. It's a gorgeous afternoon because it's always gorgeous in Tiburon, California. Overlooking the San Francisco Bay, a hyper-exclusive community, median home price, $2 million. The air smells of old money and new money and more money. I sit on the crowded back deck of a restaurant overlooking the water, Sunday brunch, just watching, trying to pretend like I belong there. But I don't belong there. Everybody already knows everybody. They loudly discuss the club, the school, the Aspen, the parents. I sit next to a group of young men. Clever haircuts, perfect smiles, powerful laughs. And why not? Everything they see, everything they can imagine is theirs before they even ask. Then a young woman walks in. Her beauty incandescent, her stride confident. Even under the midday sun, it's like she walks under a spotlight. Every head in the joint turns in time to a click, click, click. Then one of the young men at the table next to me stands up and loudly so everyone can hear, he says, been there, as he points to the woman, done that. He and his friends laugh together. The young lady deflates. The spotlight disappears. Her mouth tightens. And I want to hug her. And I want to punch him. Then with a force of will, she turns the spotlight back on. Her chin rises. Clandestine eyes keep following her. And she sits down with her girlfriends at a table right next to mine. I watch them attempt to comfort her. Group glares back at the boys' table, but she stops them. Refuses to look back even for an instant. Regal. And she tells everyone at her table, big girls don't cry. Now, it wasn't my place, but I wish I could have said something to her. I don't know what, but something. Instead, nameless person that I don't know, from WNYC, this snap is for you. Big girls don't cry. Amazing stories from amazing people trying to keep it together. My name is Glenn Washington. Please understand, some fools deserve to get maced. Because you're listening. You're listening. To Snap Judgment. Snap. Now then, Snappers, 
I hope you're not scared of things that slither, that creep, that crawl, because we're jumping into a pit full of them. Snakes. Snap Judgments and Assessment has the when, the where, the why, and the who. High Sky Children's Ranch and the Stay Together program. They'll answer your call 24 hours a day at 235. I'm driving to the middle of Texas, where every spring the town of Sweetwater hosts a kind of deadly carnival. It's the biggest event in the town? Yeah. It's a big event. There'll be people from Dallas to Japan, China, and all that. Really? You'll see the skinning of the rattlesnakes. If you've got the stomach for it, great. They'll have the guy that'll stand there with a balloon and let the rattler strike it real good. They walk, they literally walk into pits with the rattlers. Yeah. They sell the meat. A lot of folks say it tastes like chicken. I've never eaten it, so I don't know. You and never I, eaten? I don't eat nothing that crawls on the ground. Right. It's a terrifying festival full of actual pits of spitting, slithering rattlesnakes. It kicks off with a parade led by the Sweetwater High Marching Band. Like a horse! Our first horse! There's Stanley Sweetwater. That's where we bought our car. Hi, we bought our car from you. Yay! Sweetwater is a one-street town. There's a Sonic Burger joint, a town newspaper, the Sweetwater Reporter, and a cement plant where a lot of the families work. The Rattlesnake Roundup is the biggest event of the year. And for the girls of Sweetwater High, the Miss Snake Charmer pageant was the most important event of the Roundup. These contestants in this year's pageant? Yes, so we understand. They're throwing candy. These are all contestants for the Miss Snake Charmer pageant. That's the number five. Let me see your best smile. Let me see your best smile. I want to see teeth. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You're hot. You're hot. The pageant is why I'm here. An hour before the curtain rises, in the basement of the Sweetwater Municipal Auditorium, girls are organizing their dresses and fixing eyelashes. She's going to do some interviews. I guess she'll pull whoever she wants, whenever she wants. Okay? Oh, yeah. Hi. 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 I'm, I'm Anna. Carly. Nice to meet you. The queen of the pageant will preside over the rattlesnake roundup for the weekend. She'll get in the snake pits, she'll skin and behead a rattlesnake, and she'll win a $1,500 scholarship for college. But as soon as I start to talk to the girls, it becomes clear that they each have this real reason they want to win. So that's really exciting. It's a reason that they hold in their throat, in their breath, which gets shorter and shorter and more anxious as the pageant gets closer. The first girl I meet is Kayla Warford. All right, I'm Kayla Warford. I'm contestant number four this year. She's everything you hope a high school beauty pageant contestant from Sweetwater, Texas might be. She's an all-American cheerleader and an honor roll student. Yes, ma'am, I'm from Sweetwater. I've attended every pageant since I was three and a half months years old, so, so that's exciting. Every pageant? Every pageant. So I remember falling asleep right before crowning <laughs> because I was about six or seven, and that's all I wanted to see was the pretty dresses. <laughs> so I love that part. That's probably one of my favorites. Yeah. I don't know. It's just been in my heart. <laughs> wow. I'm really excited this year. Are those mm-hmm. your boots? Yes, ma'am. I designed those myself. Can you, it's radio, sadly, so the listener can't see it, but can you describe those boots? Oh, yeah. Um, a lot of zebra print and 
uh, cheetah print mixed in with a lot of pretty flowers. Like, what is that on the outside? What am I looking at? Uh, it's Swarovski crystals. They are a step down from diamonds, really. So, so this boot is entirely covered in Swarovski crystals? Yes, ma'am. Here, let me get yeah, one. bring one over here. How much do you suppose they're worth? Uh, about 15000 Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Like, these pieces right here, they're yeah. about 200 to $400 each. That's way more money than you'd win in the scholarship. Oh, yeah. Way more. <laughs> right. So even if you win, you're, you're in I'm still money. winning. Right. <laughs> um, the truth is, Sweetwater is not a wealthy town. Some of the girls here have less money than others. Yeah, I really don't have a lot of money to buy new clothes. Like, all of my clothes are borrowed. If you win, you win some money, right? Some scholarship money? Some scholarship money, yes. Is that important to you? It would help immensely because... This is Cheyenne. To go into the neat, She's kind of the, the opposite of Kayla with the crystals. Hi, my name is Cheyenne Hamilton, contestant number five in the Mistake Charmer uh, pageant competition thing. Yeah. I noticed and her when she drove by in her convertible in the parade. Young lady. All the other girls wore dresses. Cheyenne wore ripped jeans and a flannel shirt. I was in powerlifting for a little bit. How come powerlifting? Because I don't like running. Okay. I am too big for running. Nope. I can barely walk up them steps. So how come you entered the pageant? Because I want to do something different. I want to be I want to be something and I I haven't really done anything with my life here in Sweetwater. Prove to everybody else that you're actually I guess somebody. What does that mean? Somebody? Yeah. You said a toys now, so I just wonder what that means. I guess my family, my biological mom, she didn't do anything with her life. And I don't want to be like her. And I don't want to follow in my biological parents' footsteps. I want to be something completely different. I'm not the cutest. I'm not the smartest. I'm definitely not the sweetest, but... Cheyenne hasn't lived with her biological parents since she was a baby. She's had a string of caretakers. I cut myself. I was to the point where I wanted to die. I just, I wanted it to be over. So I was sent to uh, Rivercrest, uh, a mental hospital. (laughs) She said entering the pageant is about trying to leave all of that behind. I'm just trying to start over and turn over a new leaf, leave, whatever it's called. I don't know what it's called, but. Yeah, yeah, that's right, leaf. (laughs) Okay, yeah, that. Um, I'm, like, working on my 12th second chance. (laughs) What are you most nervous about tonight? Impressing my parents. Really? How come? Because I've always wanted to hear I'm proud of you. When she says her parents, she means her biological grandmother, who adopted her, and her grandmother's boyfriend. Well, they'll be proud of you if you don't win. Is that right? I hope so. I really do. The pageant director is telling all the girls that she sees their moms in the audience. I'm excited for evening speech because I'm mentioning my parents and my mom. I will be the loudest girl screaming, I promise. We could not do this without our mothers. They they pick out all our dresses, they pay for everything. They stay up just as late as you, freaking out. Like, I don't think my mom got any sleep. Except Cheyenne hasn't really had those late nights up with her mom. They haven't really had too much to do with it. I've been doing this all on my own. I just we we were practicing last night, and I I just like all overwhelmed me like, and I still had to get so much stuff done, just clothes that I didn't have. That so I went to like the dollar store or not the dollar store. I would say like Goodwill. Contestant Carly Coldiron. She's contestant number one. 
Her mom was actually in the pageant when she was a student at Sweetwater High. Yes, she won 22 years ago and she was also contestant number one. And so it's kind of cool since I'm contestant number one too. She's been giving me tips left and right. What's one that you remember? My my walk. I have to because we have we have wide hips, so we have to we have to work those hips when you walk in heels. <laughs> For like we, the women in your family. Yes, yes, ma'am. <laughs> always smile. Always look at the judges. Is that pressure? Yes, very much so. Considering that my mom, my second cousin, my aunt, my step aunt. I mean, there's been a bunch of snake charmer winners in the past years, so I have a lot of you know, stuff on my shoulders that's, I mean, I've got some pressure going on here, but it's been, it hasn't really been hard. It's just kind of like, I've kind of, I'm kind of expected to win. It's a high deal in our family. And in case you didn't catch that, she said she's kind of expected to win. We're close, ladies. We're very, very close. Before the pageant opens, all the girls hold hands in a circle and bow their heads. Heavenly Father God, I just thank you so much for this night, Lord, and I Especially thank you for these girls. You can see Lord, their individual the prayers cross their faces. Lord, Carly Coldire needs to win it to uphold a legacy. Cheyenne needs to begin a legacy. And Kayla with the crystals is excited to become the woman in the beautiful dress she watched as a little girl. God, we love you, we praise you, we give you honor in all things. In your precious name, amen. Ladies! Ladies, listen to this. Uh-oh. We've got an overflow crowd. I mean, people are having a steam talk. All weekend long at the fairgrounds, pickup trucks will pull in with boxes of rattlesnakes stacked in their beds. The snakes will be weighed, milked, and measured, and thrown into the snake pits. And the girl who is crowned tonight will preside over this roundup all weekend. Okay, this is the rattlesnake pit. Oh man, it's like just a huge kiddie pool with hundreds of snakes in it. Just piled on one another, like like they're shin deep in some areas and then they're slithering up the sides of the walls, like crawling all over each other. And their tongues are out and their rattles are rattling. Oh, there's some big ones. Probably a thousand. Thousand. Probably. You're standing in a pit of a thousand snakes right now? Yeah. How does that make you feel? Great. It wakes you up in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's a good gr- a grilling rush. You get like drinking a bunch of coffee. He's just, yeah. he's just kicking them around. Kicking. Oh, Jesus. I can't even watch it. <laughs> They're all just striking at him as he's walking through. This is where the contestants dream of being, knee-deep in rattlesnakes with a crown and a sash. None of the contestants seem at all scared of the snakes. Not really scared of snakes. I skin them, and I think it's so much fun. That's a really good experience. If you go this weekend, you should skin a snake. Have you, have you skinned a snake? I've skinned plenty of snakes. I've skinned snakes. Like, it's no big deal. I mean, I just love it. Snakes are awesome. You get a sharp knife, and then you just cut up the belly of it. Um, you stick your finger in, and you pull the guts out. I, 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 I'm not afraid of snakes. I'm not afraid of reptiles. But here at the pageant, they're standing up on stage in their best evening wear, with their whole town staring back at them. Do we have all tags stuck in? Do we have all zippers sealed? 
the hardest part is coming up. This is the this is the nervous part because I have a speech now. It's here. Like, oh my goodness, I'm freaking out right now. She is duct taping my top from falling off. <laughs> that is what's going on here. <laughs> like, that's like some true, true yeah. beauty pageant magic. This is, yeah. After they've introduced themselves and given their speeches, the girls are scurrying around for yet another outfit change. Kayla's mom texts her from the audience. She's texted me so many times, and she's like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited. Or, when did she texted you? I know right before I went for evening gown, she was like, make sure you smile big and look at the judges. And I was like, okay, mom, how many times have I heard that already? <laughs> but During intermission, I find Carly's mom, um, the one who won the pageant 22 years ago. She was easy to spot. The pageant director told me to look for the one in the floor-length sequined black oh, dress. Yeah, I've been interviewing your daughter backstage. Your daughter's Carly? Yeah, it is, right, yeah. Okay, can I talk to you for a second? Sure, absolutely. Okay, have a seat, have a okay. seat. So you've been in this pageant before? I have, yes, ma'am. When was that? Uh, 1993. What number were you? I was contestant number one. Which is? <laughs> Carly's number. She said you're pretty excited tonight. I am very excited. Did you sleep last night? Not enough. <laughs> you think Who's more nervous, you or her? Probably me. Probably me, yeah. Yeah, she's a cool... It's also pretty easy to find Cheyenne's parents. Her grandma's wearing a t-shirt. Her father has a scraggly beard tied under his chin with a rubber band. And he's wearing an American flag do-rag. What we call fake. Because we're down to earth. We're, you know, just real people. We don't believe in all the fancy stuff and stuff. You know, everything that everybody else does. And knowing where she came from, we almost lost her two years ago. And just to be able to see her up there on that stage, that's that's a miracle, and that just makes me so proud. I think the judges, when they look at Cheyenne, and they see that she has not been primed all of her life for something like this, they look at a real girl. They look at somebody that actually knows, hey, we do it this way here in Texas. This is the way it gets done. For her talent, Cheyenne is singing Dolly Parton's Coat of Many Colors. Because, like I said before, I we don't have much money. And in the song, Dolly Parton didn't have much money. And her mom had to make her a coat for for school. But she keeps her head down on stage, and it's hard to hear her singing. In contrast, Kayla with the Crystals does a hip-shaking, bouncy number to a country hip-hop mashup, and the crowd goes wild. Carly Coldiron takes the stage, and the lights go low, and the crowd gets quiet. You can reach me by railway. You can reach me by railway. You can reach me on the airplane. You can reach me with your mind. You can reach me by care. There's a way that teenage girls show us everything that we're feeling, and everything that we've ever felt, even in places we like to trivialize, like a pageant. 
as Crowning gets closer, their exposed humanness becomes more and more pronounced. Kayla with the crystals is pumped about life and she wants to share it. I'm so excited right now. Nervous at the same time, sort of. <laughs> we all deserve it, so. Cheyenne needs proof that she's good enough. What are you thinking? I'm nervous. My, my heart is beating like, uh, it's crazy. Carly Coldire needs to live up. It's a high deal in our family, and if I win, oh my goodness, you don't know how crazy it's going to be. <laughs> like, and if you don't? If I don't, I'll probably cry. Here we go. Ladies, let's go. 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 Let's our second runner-up is Kayla Wofford. It's Kayla with the crystals. Well, the first runner-up plays a very important role, and for some reason the queen can't fulfill her duties like she is the First runner-up goes to a charismatic young woman who wears a vintage dress. We'd like to remind you of the 2015 Miss Snake Tournament. We'll be reigning over the rattlesnake roundup all weekend long, and the winner of the $1,500 scholarship and our 2015 Miss Snake Charmer is Michaela Fowler. Cheyenne and Carly Coldiron didn't place at all. By the time Carly reaches the curtain, tears are streaming down her face. Her mom is somehow immediately backstage, holding her weeping daughter close and saying in a fierce whisper that she doesn't know what happened. I am a little bit baffled, but I think she is too, that, you know, sometimes battles are fought and won in areas that you can't see. I'm in shock, to be honest. Yeah, we both are. We both are a little surprised. I have to say that this yeah. is the first time we've ever done a pageant where she hasn't placed. <laughs> so that's pretty baffling within itself, so. But it's okay. It's all right. It won't take long. She'll do it again. We have another one in a month. We'll tear it up and go to state, right? Here we go. So. I find Cheyenne in her dressing room, shoving clothes into a garbage bag. So, Cheyenne, what happened? Um, I, I didn't get anything. Is there something the other girls had that you wish you'd had? They know people. I don't know anybody. Son of a biscuit-eating bulldog. It hurts a lot. I wanted to win something. Anything. For once. I wanted to be a winner. Do you think you made your parents proud? No. Really? Yeah. But you think you would have if you had won? Probably. Do you think your parents care about that? I don't know. I don't know what they care about. 
I find Cheyenne's parents waiting for her outside. And, of course, they're proud of her. What do you want her to know? I wouldn't care if she was digging post holes. I would still be proud of her. You go out to them snake snake pits out there. You talk to Cheyenne. You tell her how to get in a snake pit, cut a snake. She doesn't want a vest or nothing. She goes out and cuts the snake. She gets my knife, and she goes in there and cuts the snake. She is not afraid. Looky here. Not only are your parents proud, but over 2 million snappers are proud of every person that entered that contest. You feel me? Hold your head up high, ladies. Much love to all the contestants and the organizers of the Miss Snake Charmer pageant. And thanks so much for letting us into your world. It was produced by Anna Sussman. Now, when Stamp Judgment continues, we tell you exactly how not to get adopted. When the Girls Don't Cry episode returns, stay tuned. Snap Judgment, the Girls Don't Cry episode. Today, we're examining toughness. And our next story begins in the 1950s, rural Oklahoma, in a Native American orphanage where there is very little a young orphan girl would not do to get adopted. Snap Judgment. Once a month, the girls at the Murrow Indian Orphanage in Muskogee, Oklahoma, would line up for Adoption Day. You know, where people go in uh, to buy little puppies and kitties at a store, well, there were days that people could come to the orphanage and view children that were up for adoption at that time. And they would take a child out for lunch or dinner and bring them back. And it was kind of a dating concept. So um, I always felt that was not cool. I I didn't like those days at all. Made me very angry. And I didn't know why. I just knew I was angry and upset. Sharon was nine. And she lived there with her little sister, Judy. One of the things that got me through all of this was the fact that I had my sister with me and I was like a mom uh, in a sense. I was very protective of her. One day, the orphanage director told the sisters that a couple was coming specifically to meet them. And I had gotten up early and we were all in our underwear lined up like we always are in preparation. So we would get all our clothing and our socks and underwear and and go and change. Sharon brushed her little sister's hair, wiped her face. I put her into the lacy little dress. I did all the snaps and buttons just so. 
Oh, she was cute. Uh, she was a little chubby, adorable. You would uh, loved her right off. And I was the opposite. I was skinny and tall for my age. She could have been adopted quickly and very easily, except uh, our parents had stated in the adoption records that we had to be joined at the hip, so to speak. And she took me by my hands and said, I want this bad. Please, please don't mess this up for me. How would you have messed it up for her? Me, I was not lovable because I was uh, like broken, but not totally. And I, I didn't give up easy. So I was, I guess the word you could use was defiant. The sisters had been shuffled through a string of sketchy foster homes and a bunch of orphanages. This couple coming to meet them was the opportunity every girl in the orphanage fantasized about. The sisters watched them drive up to the big brick building. It was an old dirt road up to the orphanage on the hill. The man was tall and thin, and the wife was a little bit on the husky side. And they were nice, and they were looking for um, to adopt. The husky wife wore a polka dot dress, and they brought the girls baskets of treasures. You know, homemade things like fried chicken and cold chicken and different things. That was kind of fun. It was a picnic. The four of them made small talk. They spread out a little blanket on the grounds behind the orphanage. Little Judy sat on the woman's lap and sang songs. But Sharon couldn't play along, and the couple was spooked by her sullenness and her hostility. And my, they loved my sister, and they wanted to adopt her, but they didn't want to take me because I was troubled and, and I wouldn't talk. I was terrible. Well, as we had finished our lunch and uh, on, on the verge of, uh, of saying goodbye to them, which really was a goodbye, because named, I guess, because of my behavior. But, and so they gave us a gift. It was like a Raggedy Ann doll, and I loved it. This doll represented something very special, uh, a little bit of security. You know, something to hold on to and, and to cuddle and to sleep with. To get gifts was a big deal, I mean, and to hold on to that was a big deal. You didn't have a lot of things at that time, and what you did have was either taken by another child or an adult. I knew that I could not hold on to this doll very long. Because the whole place was pretty rough and tumble. A lot of these girls had been beaten at home or in foster care. They were beaten by the white kids and the teachers in the local school. And then they would come back to the orphanage and beat up each other. You know, it was scary. You, you came from an ugliness of foster homes. Foster homes where they would slap you around, um, not give you enough food. I was always skinny. A number of all the kids were skinny because they didn't get fed enough. So we all come together with our uh, abuse uh, on our back. Uh, and we all, you know, were little and strong and weak and uh, just surviving. There was a hierarchy among the girls. Some of it was based on seniority, and some of it was based on tribal affiliation. The girls had been taken from their homes and reservations all over the area. There were Osage, Kiowa, Cherokee, but no other girls like Sharon and Judy. We were the only two Apache girls in the orphanage at Merle Indian Orphanage. 
People thought of Apaches as to be afraid of, that we were terrors of the land and bloodthirsty and killers and whatever. And so we had kind of a tag on us when we arrived uh, that we did bad things. In essence, we were just protecting ourselves like most tribes did, only we were a little more aggressive and uh, did what we had to do. I became quite a little tyrant. I re-envisioned the Apache concept, I'm afraid, because I was tough and strong, and if you came near me, I would defend myself. Was there one, like, particularly mean bully? Rachel. Her name was Rachel. She was, had been there a while, so she was used to getting her way on everything. Uh, if you didn't do what she said or give her what she wanted, there was trouble. Punching, slapping, grabbing your hair, uh, trying to bite. She was a good biter. Do you remember what she looked like? She loved her hair, mid-length cut hair. Her, her hair was her prize. Each girl who arrived at the orphanage was taken to a little room in the basement and had her hair cut off, and they would cry. But because Rachel had been there such a long time, her hair was longer than the other girls. She would always shake her head and pull on her hair. Rachel would steal pocket money and demand that girls hand over whatever treasures they had gotten from visits. She knew that Sharon just got something new. Rachel is aware of this doll. I knew that I could not hold on to this doll very long uh, because she had seen it and she wanted it. So I I loved my doll up and, and I went in back of the orphanage Uh, I had uh, rocked her and uh, kissed her and sang to her like I would a child, and I buried her in uh, one of the cliffs. That night, Sharon lay in her bed and listened through the curtain walls to the other girls shifting in their beds. I I was um, trying to go to sleep, and the storm was coming, and it was a mean storm crackling, uh, lightning, and rain, and uh... the following day, I went back, and and she was gone. The the whole hole was just gone, and part of it was broken down. I cried. (laughs) I cried like a baby in my room. But I'd rather lose her to to a storm than to let them uh, take her, and I would still own her. Rachel's family was actually pretty wealthy. She always said they were coming back for her. In the meantime, her family would send her elaborate packages with cakes and toys and candy. Would she hold that over you guys, those packages? Oh, over all of us. Over all of us. Look what I got and look what you have kind of attitude. I guess she just fawned it one too many times that I just said, okay, I'm going to get me some, basically, and... Uh, so when everybody was at school, I went to her room and I took a handful of candy and uh, uh, came back. And I ate half of it and saved a little for my sister. Did Rachel ever find out? Well, one day I was told by one of the kids that Rachel was coming and that she was mad. And I said, okay. And then I just kind of walked through the hallway and there she was with her friends and um uh, she called me a thief and all kinds of names, and uh, I guess I had said yes, I took them, because someone ratted on me, so there was no need for me to deny it. 
the two girls started scrapping, throwing punches, pulling hair. But Rachel was bigger, so as usual. And Judy just stood there and watched all this happen. About an hour or two later, it was after supper, and uh, she came into my room and was kind of crying, and, and that's when she told me that she was the one that told Rachel. So she told on me because of that incident with this uh, couple who wanted to adopt us. Were you, like, uh, how did you feel? Oh, God, I was crushed. Um, thinking my little sister did this to me, you know? How could she? You know, it's like a stab in the back. And I just sort of sat there, and, and uh, I had my arms around her, and I just kind of uh, sat back and, and just kind of walked to the window and started bawling and looked at her, and then she started bawling, and then we hugged each other, and it was all over, you know. But uh, it, was, it was difficult because she didn't have a mom or someone to say, it's going to be okay, you know, we'll get through this. So can you tell me about the woman who came unexpectedly to visit you one day? Okay, it was um, a regular day. We weren't dressed up like they normally dress us up. Miss Lynette Reeves was her name. Well, she was wearing a cotton dress with a belt, and she had a straw uh, purse. It was distant at first, but then... Uh, she was the only one that really connected with me. Uh, then it just gradually started to develop into a friendship. That was the odd thing. She kept coming back and visiting with us, and I felt that she was a loving person. I didn't feel guarded about her at all. Miss Lynette Reeves was also part Native American, but the most remarkable thing about her, she was a doll maker. And this is the odd thing. Um, her mother was a doll maker, and her great-grandmother uh, was a doll maker. I, I started to think about the future a little bit, whereas before I didn't. I was just surviving, basically, watching my back and, and Judy, and I started to feel it's going to be okay, you know. As the, the potential of getting adopted by this woman became more real, was that scary for you at all? Yeah, that's another scary part because it's like you're going to be given a gift and someone takes it away from you and, and it's not there. It was that kind of a terror-like feeling. And did the other kids uh, start to get jealous of you? I think, yes. I think that was a part of it because I would get away from them. I was going to have a new life. And that's what everybody wanted uh, with a family and be okay. And it looked like that was going to happen. The kids could sense that. Especially Rachel, who wanted to have a kind of final settling of the score. It's like gathering clouds on a storm on the horizon. It was building up. You, you could feel the tension. I knew it was going to happen. There's going to be a fight, and I knew it was going to happen. You mean fighting her could have jeopardized your adoption? Gotten you into trouble? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I could have gotten into trouble. Um, I had had enough, though, and, uh, and I wasn't going to take it. It was a warm day. Oklahoma's known for its hot days. The girls were cutting flowers in the garden behind the orphanage. I saw her coming up. I knew this was going to happen, and I knew I was going to get beat up. 
and I started remembering all the things she had done to my sister and I. And I had that in my head that I, I was going to get a new home and I wasn't going to uh, let uh, anyone take that away from me. Judy had come up to me or was on the side there and started to cry. To a nine-year-old, everything in the universe was at stake in this fight. And every potential consequence in the world rested on Sharon's decision. Rachel came at me and started shoving. I stood my ground when she uh, came at me. I shoved her back and she pulled my hair. She had me on the ground and she was heavier than I was and in some ways much stronger, but uh, I was thin, lean, and mean. Somehow I managed to get her on her stomach. Sharon straddled Rachel, who was face down in the dirt. And at this moment, her head emptied and she had a decision to make. Mess the girl up and risk the orphanage director noticing or walk away. I had a choice of either getting up and kicking her and hurting her or uh, doing what I did. I had a pair of scissors on me because we were cutting flowers. I cut a lock of her hair up. I held it up in the air for a few minutes and I had that moment. I had that moment of victory. It was over. It was done. Did the orphanage director ever find out? No one ever said anything about it. It was kind of a, a protection for the kids that I was to leave, and uh, I think it gave them courage. You don't have very many victories as a child in that kind of situation. So from then on in, in the next few months, uh, uh, we were preparing for the adoption, and uh, I kissed several other my friends and wished them all well. We never saw each other again. And I had hoped that they would all, you know, have good lives. And uh, we went off to ours in a car. <laughs> Big thanks to Sharon Skolnick for sharing that story with a snap. Now, Sharon went on to become a well-known artist. You can find out more about her work on our website, snapjudgment.org. The original sound design for that story was by Renzo Gorio. It was produced by Anna Sussman. Now then, when Snap Judgment continues, the teeniest, tiniest mother ever fights back. She fights back hard, Snappers. When the Big Girls Don't Cry episode continues, stay tuned. From WNYC, welcome back to Snap Judgment, the Big Girls Don't Cry episode. My name is Glenn Washington, and We've been featuring amazing stories of grit and determination, but nothing like this. Snap Judgment's Anna Sussman takes us to China, to an orphanage where a young child is just about to meet her new American mother for the very first time. Snap Judgment.
When we got there, it was a cold day in January, and all the older children came rushing out to see us. They knew that we were there to do an adoption, and very few children are ever adopted, and they had practiced saying hello. They brought my child to me, my daughter Jacqueline, and she, of course, was absolutely terrified. She was four years old, and then she basically was told, these are your new parents, and get in the car with them. She was not about to do that. She planted her feet and she began to cry and make a sound, not even like a human cry. It was like listening to an animal. And all the cajoling and all the encouragement couldn't get her into the car, so we literally almost kidnapped her. We had to pick her up. My husband picked her up and kind of put her in the back seat of the car where she just laid there stiffly across my lap. And she screamed and she screamed and she screamed. Shao, 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 shao. And I kept believing, well, this will be, once she gets home, once she gets to the United States, this will end. What I didn't know was that it was, this shadow would live with us every day. There was an interpreter there that was a guide for us, and she told the interpreter to explain to us that she had a baby, and she wasn't going to leave China without her baby. She called him Xiao Xiao, which is a Chinese nickname for very little. Xiao Xiao. She explained that if the kids were older than three, they were given jobs. So her job, her responsibility was to care for these two little toddlers that were basically a head shorter than she was. She had potty trained them and she had would help them eat. But what she was the most proud of really was that she had protected them from bigger kids. She said she gave all her love to this little boy she had nicknamed Xiao Xiao and that she was not gonna leave China without her baby. We were there for about two weeks total. And then when we came back here within six weeks, she could speak and she could actually convey some pretty complex thoughts in full sentences. She talked about him constantly. The only way I can describe it was it was like living with a very short mother who had had a baby ripped from her arms. She never stopped talking about him. We just said to her, we can't bring him here. And of course, she couldn't understand the sophisticated system of how all the paperwork that's required and the red tape, and you can't just take a child out of there. To be honest, I never even thought about trying to bring him here. I just kept thinking that she would get over it. One of the things I can remember most vividly was the first time I took her to McDonald's. She couldn't believe that not only did you get this cool meal, but that you also got this little toy, you know, in the Happy Meal. But then I noticed every time we went there after that, she wouldn't open her Happy Meal packet. She'd hold the toy up to the light to see what it was. And then when she got home, she stuffed him in a little box. And finally I asked her what she was doing, and she said, Xiao Xiao never had a little toy. There was no logic that you could give her in terms of trying to explain why he couldn't come here. She had noticed that we only had five chairs around our dining room table and that they were already full. And So she said one night, well, you know, he could just sit on my lap while we ate. And then one day she took me up and she showed me her bed and she said, you know, we wouldn't even need to get him his own bed. He could just slip right here on the other end of the bed from her. I started writing an email to a small group of friends and telling them about Jacqueline and her baby. Unbeknownst to me, and sometimes with my permission, these emails started to get forwarded to people who knew people who knew people. And then the responses started to come. 
I got emails from people all, literally all over the world saying, my prayer group in New York is praying for Jacqueline's baby. Our Indian reservation is praying to our ancestors for Jacqueline's baby. Our synagogue has taken up this cause. Is there any news? The lady I've never met, I wouldn't recognize her if she walked into the room from Minnesota, put up all the adoption fees and said, I'll pay the fees if we could bring him here. A lady in Tennessee said, I'll buy him clothes until he's 18 years old. Someone sent a bike from Florida. And then her story got told to some powerful folks. It ended up with a United States senator who ended up cutting through red tape on the INS side of things. And then the story was taken to the Chinese officials. And they worked together with the United States authorities. Fifteen months after she was adopted, Jacqueline walked back into that orphanage and grabbed the hand of her baby. Today, he's her cousin. He lives 20 minutes away from us. He was adopted by my sister, and he's part of our family. The way I think about it is this. If you think about love being a, a state where you can't be happy if the person that you love isn't happy, this is the way she loved that little boy. She never could rest knowing that he was still there. Grab a tissue, wipe your eyes. Don't be embarrassed, Nathis. It just means you're a human being. Shasha's gonna be all right. Many thanks to Cindy Chapanella for sharing her story with the Snap. She's written some remarkable books. I'm gonna have a link to her work at snapjudgment.org. The sound design for that piece was by Renzo Gorio. And it was produced, like every other story on this show, it was produced by Anna Sussman. You've invested your time in the best storytelling on the planet. Good work. But if you need more, and I know you need more, long car ride, trying to hit the gym, whatever, remember, subscribe to the amazing Snap Judgment Podcast. We've got hours of storytelling just there for the asking. iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play. We serve it up your way at snapjudgment.org. Snap is produced by the team that never cries at sad movies. Please give it up for Mr. Stoic himself, the Uber producer, Mr. Mark Ristich. Pat, the Kleenex, the C.D. Miller, Anna, Visine Sussman, Davy Sand in his eyes, Kim, Nancy, the Onion Lopez, Renzo Country Songs, Gorio, Eliza, the Blue Smith, Joe Rosenberg, wears sunglasses at night. Tail, Eyeliner Ducat, the harmonica, Leon Morimoto, Jasmine, not with my mascara, Aguilera. And I don't know why people still ask me if this is the news, because this is not the news. It's not the news. In fact, you could go down to the McDonald's, order a Happy Meal, take out the toy just for Chow Chow, and you would still not be as far away from the news as this is. But this is WNYC. I'm <laughs> sorry.